Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. I'm creating all kinds of new content on preparing you, uh, adding to existing pages and expanding uh, some of those pages uh, out into other pages to give you explanations. I did a radio broadcast with a doctor in the Midwest uh, that will be coming out uh, first of next week, and we will announce where you can listen to that on uh, the network. So make sure you're a member of the network so you get those announcements. Just go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org, click on the network links, and join the network in whatever area you are. If you're in Texas or you're in Australia or you're in Switzerland, I somebody ordered a bunch of books from Switzerland yesterday. <laughs> and, and we don't we don't usually like to mail that distance because it's uh, more than the cost of the books, but uh, they were willing to pay that. Uh, we mailed them even before we knew they were willing to pay that. But uh, So there is an interest all over it, but the important thing is that you connect to actual real people on the ground. If you're seeking the kingdom of God, you need to be connecting with other people seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that you can end up practicing pure religion, which is caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Caring about your neighbor's rights, caring about your neighbor's health, caring about your your neighbor's children as much as you care about your own. That's an essential quality of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and practicing that thing that James calls pure religion. So where do we start? We Last week we mentioned social bonds, and we mentioned social bonds because of some things that were said uh, by doctors like Dr. Malone and, uh, and uh, Peter McCullough. They were talking about mass formation psychosis, and uh, of course people are denying that and going back and forth, and we talked a little bit about that. But basically, there are uh, four criteria in this mass formation psychosis, which is a name some psychologist put on a particular observation that he made about the way in which people's minds work on a massive basis. Whatever it is, it's been around for a long time because man's been around for a long time. It's just his way of talking about it. He created this particular phrase. But he says that if you have... Large numbers of the population isolated, uh, deprived of normal comforts, uh, you know, with the new norm. <laughs> you can't do the old normal comforts. And you add anxiety and ever free-floating anxiety to that. And then somebody comes along and offers a single solution from an authoritarian position an awful lot of people will grab at that solution, cling to that solution, because they want relief from the anxiety, deprivation, and isolation. How many people took the vaccination just because, well, I want to be able to travel? You don't want the isolation. You don't want the deprivation. And they were giving you anxiety. Just leave me alone and I will take it. And one of the most famous psychologists in, in the world is Jordan Peterson, and that's why he took it. And so... This idea of everybody taking this vaccination is uh, 
is a little crazy, medically speaking. Like I said, I just did an interview with a doctor who's interviewed some of the doctors I just mentioned. And uh, and he thinks it's kind of crazy. And we've given lots of reason why that is. But what we're really concerned with is all the other crazy ideas that people have accepted <laughs> through mass formation of psychosis, which, like I said, has been around for a long, long time. Because isolation, deprivation, and anxiety has been around for a long, long time. And men who exercise authority one over the other have been around for a long time trying to get everybody to follow them. Well, I don't exercise authority one over the other, and so I'm not trying to get you to follow me. I'm trying to get you to be aware enough that other people have already gotten you to follow them. (laughs) So, one of the things I've done in the last couple of weeks is... uh, Listen to a, a video that was put out by, uh, I'm not sure who put it out, but I know who was in it. He's actually somebody who doesn't live very far away from me. I haven't ever met him, so I don't even want to mention his name, but we'll just say that his initials are DLS for those people who are in the network and might know who I'm talking about. But he's offering a solution. He's not offering a solution from a man of authority, but he does talk about law which is a sort of authority, and he's offering a solution, and a lot of people are reaching out and grabbing at that solution for the problems they see. You know, the what they think is usurpation of the authority of government over their children, you know, with critical race theory in the public schools, and uh, uh, mask mandates and vaccination mandates and losing your job because, or threatening to... Lose your job because you don't get vaccinated. Meanwhile, we know that exemptions have been blanketly given to all the people in Congress and the Senate, all their employees and staff, all the people that work at Moderna, all the people who work at Pfizer, uh, millions of immigrants, uh, millions of uh, uh, Chinese that are in this country. I didn't know there was so many Chinese in this country on visas, but we're talking millions. I think there's like 8 million in this country on visas. That's a lot of people. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, they all are exempt, but uh, people feel themselves being forced. And, of course, people are forcing one another, you know, yelling at you in the stores and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is all really a part of that same process of isolation, deprivation, and anxiety. And those people yelling at the store, they have anxiety and they want you to have anxiety too. (laughs) So all those Karens out there are all upset. And nobody's hardly looking at the science. If anybody does, they're almost immediately canceled. Well, the truth is, if we're going to look at the Bible, which is actually where the solution is is written down. I mean, Abraham freed many souls when he left Haran. The last time he left Haran, he freed many souls because he left with many souls. He freed people all around him and showed them a method by which they could stay free. And it's right there in the text and we've shown you what he's saying But most people don't get it. I just did a page on the the Samaritan. I probably should go there and take a look at that. Um, And uh, I did it on my phone and and uploaded it on my phone. So there's probably still typos in it. So I need to take a look. (laughs) But uh, it's just a brief. The the, uh, 
Samaritans thought they were the true Jews or the true Israelites, the true descendants of the kingdom of God. And they had their own version of the Pentateuch, which was different. I haven't really done a thorough comparison. I don't even know if I can get a copy uh, of the whole thing. And uh, you would almost need it in the Aramaic in order to make a real uh, examination. But uh, they were evidently at odds, terribly at odds, with the Pharisees. But of course, that doesn't mean they were bad, because the Pharisees were at odds with Christ. And to tell you the truth, many of the Pharisees would be at odds with many of the Pharisees today. <laughs> so, the Pharisees at that particular time. I know the what was originally called the Pharisees way back before, Christ were quite a bit different than the ones that were at the time of Christ. And a great deal of what they changed and did different, they did under Herod. Well, the problem is the modern church has done the same thing that the Pharisees and the Herod uh, did under FDR. They followed the same way that Herod was setting up a Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect, which was a social welfare system based on your sacrifices that went into the temple to take care of the needy of society, like the parents of the blind man. And like the blind man himself. And other people that were infirm, that were signed up with the temple through the network of synagogues, which were ten families. Each synagogue was ten families. And they were signed up to get the benefits that were coming to them by the way of the temple. And Herod did that. Because Augustus Caesar had done the same thing with his temples. And Augustus Caesar had done that because Julius Caesar, now Julius Caesar's name actually was Caesar. Augustus Caesar was neither Augustus nor Caesar. Those are offices. Augustus was the savior of Rome, the sorter of Rome. And uh, he took the name of Caesar to commemorate Julius Caesar, who was assassinated by people who wanted to restore the Republic, and he was destroying it. Well, how was he destroying it? Well, he started by spreading amongst the people gifts, gratuities, and benefits. When he came back from Gaul, they wanted to arrest him and try him for war crimes against the Gauls. Because he had sold almost a million Gauls into slavery. And because he did that, he had lots of money to bestow upon the Roman populace in the form of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And he was so popular, they didn't arrest him and try him. Well, FDR was pretty popular too. And he was spreading amongst the people gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And... uh, called Social Security and and, uh, CCCs and was supposedly bringing people out of the Depression because of all the wonderful things that he was doing. But now there are all kinds of books written that it actually prolonged the Depression and was not really a good idea. And really, his New Deal was the same deal that was offered by Augustus Caesar. And if you studied history in your public schools, (laughs) you would know that. Herod was offering the same deal to the people of Judea. And a lot of people would not register for the welfare 
offered through the government temple of Israel, uh, of Judea, let's call it Judea, at that time. They wouldn't register. They were unregistered. They were what you would call idiotes, not signed up. And uh, I've done pages now on idiotes and on on uh, being unregistered, etc. But a lot of people think, well, okay, so this registering for benefits that are provided to you by systems like the Corbin of the Pharisees, which are systems of forced contributions, to apply for those systems... Uh, uh, benefits of those systems, it was what Jesus would call, what Peter definitely called, a covetous practice. Once you understand what it is, is you desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor, because your neighbor has to either pay for them, or they're going to borrow money against the future of your neighbor and your neighbor's children to provide those benefits. That's a, by definition, that's a covetous practice. I mentioned this when I was talking to the doctor, because something I just saw, uh, fellow, I think his name is Stephen Fry. He's an actor, comedian in uh, Great Britain. Uh, he was on the stage with Jordan Peterson and actually on kind of on Jordan Peterson's side. He's a very bright, very intelligent person, but he is blind to some very basic, obvious, right-in-your-face elements of the biblical text. He's opposed, you know, he's an atheist, so he's opposed to the biblical text. He's opposed to the Ten Commandments. He thinks the Ten Commandments, at least part of them is silly, and uh, they really have caused nothing but trouble throughout the history of mankind. He doesn't see them as a positive thing in the history of mankind at all. And he says, you have all these commandments, and you say nothing about slavery. Well, yeah, it does. <laughs> I, I heard this bright, intelligent person, supposedly, I mean, he has a high IQ, saying that the Ten Commandments doesn't say anything about slavery. And I thought, like, did he read them? <laughs> so, and so now, do you know where the Bible, where the Ten Commandments, what we call the Ten Commandments, talks about slavery. Is there anything in there that talks about slavery? I, I give you a moment to think. <laughs> so, well, depending on how you number them, what they seem to be very confused on how to number these things. Uh, but the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, <laughs> oh, excuse me, they're not amendments. The Ninth and Tenth Commandments <laughs> says that you're not supposed to covet anything that is your neighbors. And of course, there's a discussion with Jesus as to who is your neighbor. Your neighbor isn't necessarily just the guy who lives next door. That's, that's our interpretation of that word neighbor. I can see I need a page on neighbor so that we can explain what that, that particular Greek word that we see in the text actually means. It doesn't necessarily mean the guy next door. But if you go to the neighboring country, or you go to people in your country, you go out, you capture them, you put them in chains, you take them to the seacoast, and you sell them into slavery to other people, pretty much for money, for profit, for benefits to yourself. 
pretty much you have coveted your neighbor's le- uh, labor. <laughs> that's 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 pretty much the definition of coveting your neighbor's labor. You want to profit from his labor by selling him into bondage. So that's pretty much a violation of the Ten Commandments, and therefore slavery is talked about in the Ten Commandments. But this poor Stephen Fry didn't even get it. He didn't even see it. This bright, intellectual, intelligent guy that people think that they need to put up on a stage so millions of people will listen to him, read the Ten Commandments and didn't notice that desiring to force your neighbor to work for your benefit, take away his labor, his right to choose how he wanted to work it, and the profits from his labor, take them away from him. You didn't notice that's a covetous practice? (laughs) You know, like, how blind are you? Well, he sits in darkness. And because he sits in darkness, there's a lot of other things he doesn't see and doesn't understand. But he has a real high IQ, so let's put him on TV and let millions of people listen to him. Meanwhile, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. <laughs> so, anyway, at least you guys are listening. But are you doing? Because it's not enough to hear. Jesus made very clear about that. Not just those who hear, but those who become doers of the word. Well, I'm out here with his voice in the wilderness, but there evidently is lots and lots of people out there that are talking to you and talking to the people out there in the world that are leading them astray, like poor Stephen Fry telling people that there's nothing in the Ten Commandments about slavery. (laughs) Nothing against slavery. Uh, Quite the contrary. And the reality is, the amazing thing is, is that Stephen Fry believes in slavery. He advocates slavery. Of course, he doesn't call it slavery. Oh, you don't want to call it slavery. That That's a bad word. You know, that's a triggering word. If you call, I believe in slavery and I think everybody in my country ought to be enslaved. He's not going to say that. But he believes that. But he didn't even know he believes that. Because he sits in darkness. You know, he, he can look around the room and not see the truth. Right in front of him. Because... He's only, he's got selective vision. <laughs> okay. So how does he believe in slavery? Well, he lives in Great Britain and Great Britain has a social safety net. And the social safety net in, which I think they call it national insurance. And we call it social security here, but they call it national insurance over there. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what they call it. But anyway, the, uh, what that is, is they're going to take away from the labor of everybody in England, a portion of the labor of everybody in England, and take that money and put in their temple, oh, excuse me, not temple, government building. Of course, they are the same thing. <laughs> That's their temple. That's where they go for their daily bread. And they pray at that temple for their daily bread. You know, and they call it... They call it an application. They fill out an application for their daily bread. Chances are in England, you don't even have to fill out the application. Just show up and they'll fill it out for you. But you get that daily bread because they're taking away from their neighbor. So, like I said, when I was a little boy, I knew this. I can see it. 
I didn't know all the ins and outs of it, but I was seven years old and I asked my dad who he worked for. And he said, until July 1st, I worked for the government. After that, I worked for myself. Half his labor belonged to the government. You know, when they were in bondage in Egypt, it was only 20% of your labor belonged to the government. <laughs> See, what, I don't know, if you're putting, if you're connecting the dots, you're all slaves. You're in a bondage worse than the bondage of Egypt. But you call it freedom. Just like poor Stephen Fry doesn't want to call himself a slave master. Because he wants to force his neighbor to provide a social safety net. Christians wouldn't do that. As a matter of fact, Christians today still don't do that. Christians today do not want to force their neighbor to provide a social safety net. Jews today do not want to force their neighbor to provide them with social welfare. Now, there are people calling themselves Jews, and there are people calling themselves Christians, and there are people calling themselves followers of Allah, And they do want to force their neighbor to provide a social safety net for them. But all those people are the synagogue of the adversary of God. Because God doesn't want you forcing your neighbor to provide you with personal benefits. And if you're doing that, you're not following God. You're not following the ways of God. You're not following the righteousness of God. You're actually engaged in covetous practices. And that will make you merchandise. Now let's go back to that guy I listened to. I think I mentioned that I listened to him for, I think it was over four hours. And he's giving people a solution to the bondage they seem to find themselves in. He's saying that they're in bondage because of the government fraud. And because they're holding you to adhesion contracts. These are the key words you're going to hear. He says a lot of stuff. I'm not going to go through the four hours. I've heard it all before. And it was part of, hearing it was a part of, you know, the journey that God put me on to begin with. I would hear it and I'd say, well, wait a minute, something doesn't sound right. It's really good if all I have to do is fill out some forms and suddenly I'm a free person and I'm not in the bondage of Egypt anymore. I don't remember anything about Moses telling anybody to fill out forms. (laughs) That didn't seem to be what he was doing. So, what is the solution? And what is not the solution? And we need to be able to tell the difference. We need to be able to see the difference. In order to turn the light on in the room that we're in, We need to see ourselves. We'll be right back to Keys to the Kingdom. So, welcome back. So, I was saying at the end of the first part of the show that uh, we need to understand and we need to make sure that we have eyes to see and, and kind of turn on the light in the room so that we will not fall prey to sitting in the darkness. Now, everybody thinks that they're sitting in the light and that they see already. But the reality is, is that when you're blind to something, when you're blindsided by something, you don't see it. And when Christ came, 
lots of people didn't see the truth. But then when he began to speak about it, people said, oh, well, I see that. But other people said, somebody's got to shut that guy up. (laughs) They did not want to hear the truth. Because a lot of times the truth is painful. In order for you to see the truth around you and everybody else, you have to see the truth about yourself. And Christ makes it absolutely clear, the Bible makes it absolutely clear, that people were going to go into bondage again. You know, you can go back to Deuteronomy, all the way back to that Pentateuch. You know, uh, the Samaritans and the, the Jews, like I said, they were in conflict with one another. It goes way back to Nehemiah's time. And uh, they they thought that... Uh, certain number of the Jews, when they were going to build the temple and all this stuff, and we've talked about that, what was wrong with the way that they rebuilt the temple one time after they came out of captivity? They they did not build it according to the ways of the ancient. Well, in the ancient time, there was no stone building. There, there was a tent, a tabernacle we call it, but it's just the word for tent. And it was fascinating how it was made, and that but we won't go into all that. This is a sidetrack. But why was the tent so important? Was there a big treasury in the tent? Did they had a big vault in there where everybody put their money and all that stuff? No, that wouldn't be very... That would not... Did they carry around a big golden statue? Like a lot of the countries did. A lot of the nations did. They had these big golden statues and that was their treasury. That was their reserve fund. And we talked about that on the doctor's show briefly because he asked about it. And if you don't understand the, the purpose of the golden calf, the functionality of the golden calf, we have an article up, you can go look it up at Preparing You. If you don't understand the functionality of that, you don't understand the story. But the point is, is that that's not the way they were operating. They didn't have a golden statue. They didn't have a stone temple. They didn't have a vault inside the stone temple with everybody's wealth tied up in that temple of big treasury with golden doors and all that stuff like they had in the temple of Herod or the temple of Roma or in, in the Parthenos and all these other places. They didn't have those stone temples. And if you go back in history with the Romans, they didn't have stone temples either. Even in Ephesus, they didn't have stone temple. Not at first. Actually, they always just built it out of wood and it burned down several times. And building out of stone was not real practical either because they always built it on a, near a delta because it was all about trade. That temple was involved in trade and fishing enterprises and everything else. Why, why is the temple involved with that? Because a temple originally was just an area. The word that we see for temple in ancient cultures was an area. And occasionally they'd build a little building there and and all that stuff, but it, there was no there was no big treasury. It was a place where you went to get connected in a network of people who would take care of your needs if you fell on hard times, because you were always there to take care of their needs if they fell on hard times. That's that's what this whole process was about to create what 
Dr. Malone referred to as social bonds. And those social bonds help you from uh, to become immune to mass formation psychosis. <laughs> and a lot of the other psychosis that people are suffering from, such as Stephen Fry is suffering from several psychoses, several problems of the mind where he cannot see clearly. Obviously, reading the Ten Commandments, he didn't even realize that slavery is the ultimate of coveting your neighbor's cuts. <laughs> he's forcing your neighbor to work for you. But he's fine with that as long as you do it through government, as long as you do it through a social welfare system that forces your neighbor to take care of the needy of your society. Of course, he's not going to create the social bonds of a free society. He wants to create the social bonds of a slave society, of a society that has a Corby system of statutory bondage. That's actually, if you want to use terms like mass formation of psychosis rather than sit in darkness, like Jesus said, <laughs> same thing. They don't see. They have the, the, a problem with seeing things clearly. We could see that coming when people couldn't tell, you know, where they thought that, you know, I heard the question again from somebody asking, I think they were asking Jordan Peterson, uh, do you think a trans man is a woman? Or, I don't know how they word it, it's always very confusing. You know, it's a guy, it's a male-gendered guy who thinks he's a woman. And do you think he's actually a woman? Well, you know, to quote, the guy from Dream Team, stay out of my psychosis. <laughs> no, I don't think he's a woman. I think he's a guy who thinks he's a woman. That's what I. That's the reality. He, he's not a woman. He's a guy who dresses up like a woman and and tries to act like a woman. Although most of these guys don't act anything like what I would call a woman. But but that's and it's it's just a psychosis it's 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 a dysphoria that's a more polite term that people use it used to be able to use now now you're not supposed to even use that anything that reeks of the truth is taboo but what psychosis do you have what delusion what dysphoria do you have i mean he thinks he's a woman but he's actually a guy you think you're a christian but maybe you're actually a pagan I mean, the Samaritans thought they were the true Jews, and the Pharisees thought that they were the true Jews. But the only true Israelite that was amongst them was Jesus Christ, because he was the only one doing actually what Moses said and what Abraham said, which was to create these living altars of charity, not to covet your neighbor's goods. Do men who exercise authority. Christ specifically directed. That was a decree of Christ. That you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, handing out all these benefits and, you know, welfare and all these things. You're not supposed to be like those guys who do that, who say that they are your benefactor, but they actually are just exercising authority over your neighbor and making him a slave. You know, by taking away a portion of his labor so that you can have more free stuff like public education, Medicare, Medicaid, all these things. All these New Deal things and these great society things of LBJ and FDR, 
they're all what Herod and the Pharisees were doing that Jesus said was making the word of God to none effect. And so, Peter says that's going to bring you, make you merchandise, human resources, going to curse your children with debt, make them a surety for debt. And they have done that. And they've done that while you were going to church. Or something calling itself a church. It was a building and they, somewhere outside they had the name church on it. But it wasn't the church established by Jesus Christ. It was the church established by Constantine and a lot of other people that have come along since then. It's not really the church established by Christ. Because it wasn't doing what Christ said. It was doing contrary to the decrees of Christ. Who was, I mean, Christ means the Messiah, the Messiah, the, the King. Jesus Christ was the King of Israel. I mean, even Rome admitted that. This is the King of Judea. This is the King of the Judeans. This is the King of the Judeans. Three times. Nailed to the cross. And once you nailed that to the cross, you didn't have to obey the decrees of the Pharisees. You only had to obey the decrees of Christ. <laughs> so, which is what we see Peter, you know, he, he wasn't following the decrees of Caesar because there was another king on Jesus. But the modern Christian is not following the decrees of Jesus. He's sitting down and coveting his neighbor's goods. He's been made merchandise. He's back in the bondage of Egypt. His children are in debt. And he doesn't even own his children anymore because he has made the state his father, which is another whole subject we can go into. But we were talking about this guy, DLS, that actually lives near me. And he's going out telling people all you have to do is fill out these forms. And because it's all fraud. It's not fraud. And even if it was... I'm not saying there isn't some fraud out there. There probably is. But you're in bondage because of your covetous practices. They said, well, there wasn't full disclosure. Yeah, there was. They published it all. You just didn't see it. Just like Stephen Fry couldn't see that the Ten Commandments is against slavery. Now, it's it's not absolutely against servitude. Uh, There is no commandment against servitude. There is a commandment that would help you stay away from servitude, which is to make no covenants with them <laughs> or their gods. That would help you stay out of servitude if you followed that. But if you wanted to be, say, a slave to Abraham, you you, you could say, you know, Abraham, I, I, I just want to work for you for the rest of my life. And, you know, I, I want to be your servant. Okay, you could do that. And uh, there was a lot of people, I think, that would want to be a slave to Abraham rather than what they call a free man in Egypt, or at least free man in the United States, because a free man in the United States is not as free as he used to be. Or a free man in England. You know, after the Magna Carta. Actually, there were a lot more free men long before the Magna Carta. (laughs) The Magna Carta only came along because they were getting away from the things that had made them free. And they had been doing that since at least 900 A.D. And that was so far away by the time you got to 1200, people couldn't even remember what that was like. Americans can't remember what it was like to be free. Back when America was great, Americans were free. Alexis Tocqueville talks about it. 
we write about it in our article on legal charity, or you, you can go read, go to our page on Alexis Tocqueville, Alexis Day Tocqueville. And he writes, individual almsgiving established valuable ties between the rich and the poor. Those valuable ties, those are the social bonds that Malone was talking about. That's what you see being established when uh, Justin wrote Antonius Pius, the emperor of Rome, and told them how Christians work, Christianity worked, how those following Christ took care of one another. Why was he even telling them that? Because Christians were mostly persecuted because they wouldn't register to sign up for the welfare of Rome. At first, they got away with that. Most of the persecution just came from people who were jealous and envious. But eventually, there was some people that wanted to prosecute them for failing to sign up. It wasn't a law that they had to. They could practice what they call private religion, which is what Christ was teaching them, how to practice pure religion, how to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity alone. Modern Christians don't do that. They say they have faith. They say they have hope. They say they have charity. And they have token charity. But the vast majority of the social welfare needs within their society for widows and orphans, etc., is taken care of by men who exercise authority. Which is absolutely contrary to the decree of Christ. That it was not to be that way with you. But it is that way with you, so we know you're not really a Christian. You're one of the modern Christians. You know, one of the, the followers of Constantine. Constantine was big for that. Everybody who got the baptism of Constantine could also get the benefits of Constantine, which amounted to millions and millions of dollars, the equivalent of dollars. It, wasn't, it was denarii back then. Millions and millions of dollars worth of property and silver and all kinds of things that he bestowed upon everybody who got the baptism of Constantine. And that established the Church of Constantine. But of course, those things that he gave them, he had because he killed his partner and he annihilated whole cities. <laughs> and he murdered people and he forced the contributions of the people. Alexis Tocqueville calls that forcing the contributions of the People, legal charity, is provided through taxation. He goes on to say, The deed itself involves the giver in the fate of the one whose poverty he has undertaken to alleviate. But he was, when he said that, he was talking about individual almsgiving. But legal charity is what Christ commanded we were not to do. Individual almsgiving. It is an individual charity like Christ commanded. It's legal charity is what Christ commanded we were not to do. And, and it, this was writings in the 1800s, 1850s. And we show you how, you know, Horatio Bunce said the same thing to Davy Crockett when he was running for office. You're not supposed to, the government's not in the charity business. It'll, it's never been in the, the governments who exercise authority are not in the charity business. The government of God, that's the only business it's in. <laughs> it's the charity business. But you haven't been going to the government of God. You've been going to the churches of Constantine. People, people realize that if you incorporate under the laws of the state, all other previous incorporation is null and void. That's the law. 
And so they said, well, the church shouldn't incorporate to the state because it's really the corpus of Christ. It's the body of Christ, so it shouldn't incorporate to the state. Now, you can go and tell that to most churches that are incorporated, and they will just say, oh, no, all you have to do is believe. <laughs> and keep covering your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. And come to us, and we've got some really great music, and we got a big screen TV, and we've got a great new sound system, and... And we will make you feel good about your sin. I don't know. Am I being too harsh? <laughs> so, but the reality is that's where you're at. I mean, of course, this is how John the Baptist got his head cut off. But, uh, you know, I guess it goes with the job description. But Alexis goes on and he says, The latter supported by aid, which he had no right to demand, and which he had no hope of getting, feels inspired by gratitude. A moral... But see, that's not what you have, a legal charity. They think it's an entitlement. They even call it an entitlement. Charity is somebody, something somebody chooses to give to you. It's, it's not an entitlement. He chooses to bestow a gift upon you. It's not a gift... If you reach into somebody else's pocket and take out of their pocket <laughs> and give to somebody, that that's not a gift from you. That's that's not even a gift from the other guy, if, unless he was willing to let you put your hand in his pocket. And but it, but that's not what they're doing, and that's not what Herod was doing, and that's not what uh, Caesar Augustus was doing. It's, it's certainly not what Pharaoh ended up doing, and it's not what you've been doing. It's not what FDR was doing. FDR, what FDR is doing is getting you to sign up and register and join his system of social safety net through force. And that's contrary to what Christ said. You're not supposed to be signing up. That's a voluntary act to sign up. Of course, now, you can sign up your kids and put them into bondage. You have a right to do that. Because, now, now it's wrong to do that. But you have a right to do it. See, you, you have a right to do what is wrong, but you will not escape the consequences of doing what's wrong. And some people are so afraid of that that they don't want to admit what they did was wrong. So what happens is somebody comes along like uh, DLS. I'm just referring to the guy. Maybe we'll call him DS. Uh, who is telling you all you have to do is fill out this paper and say these magic words and then you'll be free. And I, I talked to a guy years and years ago, decades ago, and he was doing similar stuff. Very similar stuff. A lot of the same words. All fraud, adhesion contract, all that kind of nonsense. Well, which some of it's true, but it's not the problem. You know, like I say, all good lies put a certain element of truth in there so that it sounds true. But if you sitting in darkness, you may not see that they're leaving out the important stuff. But the guy said to me years ago, he says, I'm freeing one uh, slave from Egypt at a time. Well, that's not the way Moses did it. <laughs> that's not the way Abraham did it. That's certainly not the way Jesus did it. So why do you think that's a good idea? And why are people falling prey 
to that philosophy. And I hate to tell you this. The reason that seems like a good idea is because you don't care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And if you don't care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, they're not going to hear the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit tells you, don't go that way. There's no trick to setting yourself free. There's no magic words. As a matter of fact, you don't set yourself free. Uh, you don't heal yourself. Uh, except by surrendering to the righteousness of God. And admitting that you did wrong. You know, why we left the garden. I've said this before. <laughs> but we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We decided to decide for ourselves what was right and what was wrong. What was good, what was evil. We were going to decide for ourselves that question. We weren't going to eat of the tree of life, which would show us the wisdom of God, the way of God. We were going to eat of the, maybe we wanted to eat of them both, but the problem was, as soon as we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, our eyes were opened enough so that we saw the mistake that we just made, And we hid from it. We went into the bushes where it was dark. (laughs) And we hid from the light. The truth about what we did. Stephen Fry is still doing that. Uh, DS is still doing that. And so, and, and most of the people going to churches and synagogues and imams and all those guys, they're all hiding from the truth. And the truth is, is that we are sinners. And we have chosen to be sinners. We've chosen to go contrary to the law of nature. And that's how come we become susceptible to getting bound up in the social bonds of legal systems. And the contracts, covenants, and constitutions of the world. And why we go back into the bondage of Egypt. Now, if you want to go back the other way, you have to repent. You have to change your thinking. You have to be willing to face the truth, face the light. And while you may say, well, I agree that that's true, you have to become a doer of that truth. You have to walk in the way of that truth. You say you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, Sit down with your neighbor in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start trying to figure out how can I take care of my neighbor in a way that strengthens them. That becomes, because now you're actually exercising your care muscles (laughs) to see if you can actually care about others as much as yourself. We have a page at Preparing You called Care. You know, what, what, what were they doing at those rituals that, uh, I can't even remember that guy's name, Alex, uh, Alex Jones snuck into some strange rituals in, uh, near Big Sur somewhere there on the California coast where they have all these elite people, you know, uh, uh, you, you see, uh, uh, George Bush and, and Clinton all like 
buddy buddies holding hands or throwing their arm around each other and all these big wigs they go there and they have these strange plays at night and everything and and bonfires and all this stuff and he snuck in and got footage of it years ago what were they doing in that ritual they the the play that they put on the, the ritual that they were putting on was killing care Social Security, Welfare, Medicare, Medicaid, government legal charity kills care in the people. So you 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 lose your care muscles. So you you're not caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So this whole idea of going to the government is what has brought you into bondage. You can sell your children into bondage. We know that uh, for, I mean, that's what apprenticeships were for years and years. Uh, and sometimes, you know, when you you you, you literally, you buy an apprenticeship uh, or you give your son to work for somebody as a squire or whatever, you know, and throughout history, he was learning a trade. He, he, he was somebody was taking the time to teach him a trade and this would be his livelihood and it might improve his standard of living or his opportunities in the world but there was an obligation to work for a period of time and to go under the authority of somebody else for a period of time well in the case of the bondage of egypt they all ran out of food they were going to starve and there was a pretty good deal coming their way in comparison to starvation from their brother Joseph who said that if you sign up with the Pharaoh's system of welfare, he'll see to it that you don't starve during this famine because he's got all the grain put up because I told him that this famine was coming. And they put up the grain and they were able to uh, survive through there. But they had, from that day on, they and their children owed 20% of their labor to the government. That was bondage. Now, admittedly, other things were entering in crafts of states, other decrees, other statutory manipulation of things, and the burden of that 20% actually grew higher. It was still 20%. It was still 20%. When I was growing up under Mubarak in Egypt, uh, income tax was still 20%. You know, make a million dollars, it was 20%. They had other taxes there that weren't just labor taxes. I don't know all of what they were, but, I mean, of course, you could have gasoline tax and property tax and sales tax. We have all those things, and that may increase the burden. But the in Egypt, it was still 20%. That's not the deal. Joseph didn't make the deal. FDR made the deal, and Congress makes the deal. And so you're back into that bondage, but... The reality is, is that if you want to remove yourself from that bondage, the only way that I have seen that makes any sense whatsoever, based on thousands of years of history, is to go the way of Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ. Which is to come together and start learning to care for one another as much as you care or think you care about yourself. Now, you also have to care about the truth, which is, you know, Jesus said he was the truth. Jesus was the Son of God. 
And he was the truth. So God is the truth. And you need to be willing to see the whole truth. And that includes the truth about yourself. That you haven't been caring. You've been slothful in caring for your neighbor as much as you care for yourself. And you need to alter that way of thinking. Or allow that way of thinking to be altered in you. Like Alexis you know, when he was talking about that individual almsgiving, establishing valuable ties between the rich and the poor. You know, he goes on to say they were moral ties that were established between those two classes whose interests and passions so often conspire to separate them from each other. And although divided by circumstances, they are willingly reconciled with true almsgiving. And he goes on to say that is not the case with legal charity. As a matter of fact, the rich and the poor become adversaries. Emotional adversaries at least. And the latter allows the alms to persist but removes its morality. Legal charity removes the morality and therefore removes those moral bonds that we would call, Jesus would call the righteousness of God. You remove that with your legal charity, with your social safety net. Stephen Fry doesn't get that. DS doesn't get that. That doesn't realize that. But we need to get that. We need to understand that. And back, I mentioned Justin, who wrote Antonius Pius to explain how Christianity worked. Something modern Christians need to find out how real Christianity works. He says, we meet every week. And those that have share with those that do not have enough. And, and that's, that's how Christianity works. And in that process, those two classes of rich and poor are no longer separate. They become one. I could give you so many stories and examples of how I've seen this throughout my life. But uh, we need to understand that this legal safety net, this legal charity that they call, is not really charity and it is actually dissolving the social bonds of a free society so that you don't know how or you're incapable of even avoiding mask mandates. (laughs) You don't know how to take care of one another. Through faith, open church, you don't know how to be a Christian. You could learn. But in order to learn, you need the great teacher, not me. I'm just pointing out the problem. The great teacher... Is, is, is the Holy Spirit of Christ. Like he says, that, but if you go the way of this legal charity, this, this Corbin of the world, this system of social welfare by force, completely contrary to John the Baptist, completely compar- contrary to Christ, he talks about that legal charity. The latter allows the alms to persist, but removes the morality. The law strips the man of wealth of a part of his surplus without consulting him 
and he sees the poor man only as a greedy stranger invited by the legislature to share his wealth. The poor man, on the other hand, feels no gratitude for a benefit that no one can refuse him and that could not satisfy him in any case because he always wants more. Public alms guarantee life, but do not make it happier or more comfortable than the individual alms giving. Legal charity does not thereby eliminate wealth or poverty in society. And we see that. How much poverty was eliminated by the war on poverty? <laughs> None. None. It's an illusion. There's more poverty now. More people living on the streets. That was the news story just before the show. Is that all these people living on the streets are going down the railroad tracks and busting open these uh, railroad cars, the kind of boxes on railroad cars, and stealing everything they can. And and the the ground is just littered with the stuff they didn't want or couldn't carry or too lazy to carry. (laughs) Because... You've created a whole savage nation of people who want what they want and they want it now. You want your freedom now. Well, Christ told you the way. Stop following the ways of people who aren't following the ways of Christ. Stop following the blind, leading the blind. There's plenty of very intelligent, smart men who cannot see the truth. Because they won't see the truth about themselves. They won't see the truth about their own selfish nature. And they want you to become just as selfish as them. And they will give you smooth-talking arguments as to what, how you can get away with being selfish. You can't. There, There is no escape from it. It's built into the system. If you're slothful, that's a selfish thing. If you're greedy for gain, that's a selfish thing. Wanting to have one purse, you know, socialism. Socialism is selfish. It it certainly lacks faith. You have to go the other way. Public school is socialism. So, he goes on to say, one class still views the world with fear and loathing, while the other regarding its misfortune with despair and envy. Far from uniting these two rival nations of rich and poor who have existed since the beginning of the world and who are called the rich and the poor into a single people, it breaks the only link which could be established between them It ranges each one under a banner, tallies them, and brings them face to face, prepares them for combat. So anyway, that's that's what he wrote. But he wrote that almost 200 years ago. They didn't teach your kids that in school. (laughs) They They didn't want you to learn the ways of Christianity. Where you gather every week and you share so that those that don't have enough don't have to go 
to the men who will turn them into merchandise and curse their children. If the church was really doing what it should have been doing in the 1930s, they would have never gone the way of social welfare through the state. It would have died. It would have had, if all the people who said they were Christian wouldn't have signed up. Now I know, I actually know of pastors who would not sign up, would not register with this system at the temple of the state. This legal charity system at the temple of the state. This Corbin of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Actually, he didn't write the system in our book, uh, Covenants of the Gods. We quote the guy who actually wrote the system and devised the system and explains the system. We also quote the Supreme Court to show you. We, you can read all this free online. You don't have to buy any book. But it was leading you farther and all the people who thought they were Christians farther away because they were already under a strong delusion and the delusion just got stronger and stronger. It's kind of like the guy who thinks he's a little effeminate, thinks he's, maybe he thinks he's gay. People say, well, you're gay. And so he starts to think that. And, and before you know it, then he's dressing up like a girl and, and then he may take it a step farther and go and have operations, irreversible op- He may take hormones. Same thing with girls who think they're guys. Once you open the door, the Pandora's box of delusion, there's no end to where you can go with that. And when you have a whole society opening a box of delusions, all kinds of delusions, the, the gender problem is just... A, Tip of the iceberg. I mean, we saw it in Sodom and Gomorrah. We we see it in we saw it in Nazi Germany, and and it's it's kind of a canary in the coal mine. There's a problem. Why are people having such a problem? I mean, now you can your daughter can join the wrestling team and get beat up by a guy, <laughs> and you'll sit there and watch it happen. We never would have stood for that fifty years ago. But it's now become a part of our reality. Because we don't live in reality. We live in darkness. And so, you know, I was a little bit hard-hitting. You should hear the show that I did with the good doctor. <laughs> that was that was uh, quite a bit. You know, he kept asking the hard questions. See, he's been studying the material for months now. And so he's already got over the culture shock of seeing that, oh my gosh, I thought it was a Christian kind of thing. Uh, and so he's asking the hard questions and there's no easy way to answer these hard questions. Uh, you cannot water down the gospel. That's not why we have the water. <laughs> That's not what baptism is for, to water down the gospel. So, we need to turn around. Otherwise, what we will do is, you know, build the city of blood. And what's the city of blood? I mean, they talk about the city of blood in the Bible. They talk about uh, flesh pots and cauldrons are equated with the cities established by iniquity and run to shed blood. They tell us all this stuff over and over again in the Bible. People read it just like, Stephen Fry reads the Ten Commandments and he doesn't know what it says. I mean, you read in Exodus 16, 3, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, 
when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So what were the flesh pots? What are they talking about, the flesh pots? They tell you. They will tell you in the Bible. What what do they mean when they say, For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. In Proverbs one sixteen, Who? Whose feet run to evil and make haste? It's the ones who want to have one purse. Want socialism. They, they want to be able to force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. You know, and, and they do this because they have a proud look and a lying tongue and the hands that shed innocent blood. And that's what ends up happening is you end up having abortion. You, you know, abortion's rampant in Europe. Birth rate's so low, they, they will not survive. And they continue. And what does the Bible tell you to do when the kings are trying to offer you benefits? You know, if, when FDR was offering you benefits, why weren't all the ministers reading Proverbs 23 and talking to you about an appetite for the dainties of the king? You know, and what, what was the advice in Proverbs? Put a knife to your throat if you be a man of appetite. Because the, the dainties of the kings are the wages of unrighteousness talked about in the New Testament. It's the benefits from those men that call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. It's all there over and over again. Paul quotes David talking about legal charity, saying that it's a snare. That Their table is a snare. What should have been for your welfare is a snare. Because Peter tells you it's going to make you merchandise. It's going to curse your children. Because you're going to be snared. He didn't say, oh, you know what, but all you have to do is fill out this paperwork. (laughs) And you'll suddenly be free. You can't free yourself. What do you do with the debt? You know, if you take the benefit, you must suffer the advantage, the disadvantage. And... That, that's a maximum of law. And you, you've taken it. Your parents have taken it. Your grandparents have taken it. Generations now. You've been living by these covetous practices. So the solution is what I've been telling you all along. What Christ told you all along. What Moses told you all along. What Abraham told you all along. Those guys actually freed people. Whole nations. Not only that. It made them strong enough to stay free. And then when they weren't strong enough to stop the enemy, God intervened. You're going to need that intervention. You're you're not going to be perfect, but you need to be seeking the righteousness of God. And the righteous way of God. And everybody's going to suffer. Everybody's going to lose something. But if you lay down your life willingly, you will be able to pick up your life more abundantly. You know, I'm an old guy, but I have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, but I have to care about your children, your great-grandchildren, as much as I care about my own. That's 
That's written, that's written in the law. In our, on our page on the city of blood, we have that quote from Justin, which uh, it was about 150 AD is when he wrote Antonius Pius. We have that all explained there and, and there must be, um, I'm looking really quick here, at least four or five links to other articles that expound upon this, but he says, and the wealthy among us help the needy and willingly give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is deposited with the president. He's talking about a church meeting and he says the word president. But now, now what what word is he translating that? That's the English word we see there, president. It's probably principas. Which doesn't mean someone who exercises authority because he just told you they're only giving what they choose to give. This is this individual free almsgiving. Why are they giving it? Who They're giving it to the first person who is responsible, the president who's responsible to succor the orphans and widows of those who through sickness or other cause are in want and those who are in bonds, I'd be in jail, <laughs> and uh, maybe might not be in jail. They, they might be actually in bondage, you know, under a term of service, you know, where they have to work for somebody else. And even strangers, he says, and the strangers sojourning amongst us. In a word, take care of all who are in need. Tyrants are afraid of people who have care for one another. Who take care of one another. That They are frightened to death that you might learn to care for one another. That's why they want you social distancing. That's why they want you not gathering. And <laughs> they don't mind if you get angry. They don't mind if you shake your fist. That's one of the things that uh, DS was saying. Is you have to get angry. No. If somebody's telling you you have to get angry. <laughs> in order to have the energy to do what is right. That's not Jesus Christ. Boy, when I, I heard that, you know, I, I I took notes. I shared them with one of the ministers who put me onto the video. But I don't even want to write about the guy. Because I, I've seen this all before. It's it's getting too late to mess around with this. We have our page on gurus who have all these solutions. Christ has the solution. He's written about it. You're just not seeing it. The same as Stephen Fry is not seeing what he's not seeing. And you're not seeing it because the same reason Stephen Fry is. Not maybe the specific reason that Stephen Fry is. Uh, Stephen Fry is gay, by the way. But, I mean, he has a tremendous ego. But the what what his problem is, is that he doesn't want to see the truth about himself. And it, the truth about himself is... Not that he's gay. He's gay because he doesn't want to see the truth about himself. And, you know, the people who are who are gay, most of the people today who think they're gay, they just think they're gay. They're not gay. But it tells you in the Bible that people who become gay, whatever that means, uh, 
they're turned over to this unnatural lust. They, they don't have any choice. They say, oh, I don't have any choice. I was made this way. Yeah, you were made this way. But you were made that way because you did have a choice. It's like, back to Adam and Eve. They left the garden because they chose not to see the light. The light there at the tree of life is there to bring you back. But if you don't want to see the light, you don't want to see the truth, you'll flee the light. You flee the light, you know where you're going to end up? Sitting in darkness. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious. You just have to choose this other way. And those who have amongst us help the needy and we always keep together and for all things wherewith we are supplied, we bless the maker of all through his son Jesus Christ and through the Holy Ghost. That's what Justin is telling us. That's, that's, that's how he's explaining the weekly worship of the Christians. According to the apostolic author Justin the Martyr. That was religious service. Remember religion, just 200 years ago, also 2000 years ago, was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Your duty for your fellow man is to care about your fellow man as much as you care about yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. So that was worship. That was a worship service. To actually gather once a week and make sure that you're caring about your neighbor as much as yourself. And that will open your eyes. And one of the things that will open your eyes is that you will find that hard to do. You will find excuses why not to gather. Oh, I can't make it. I gotta go do this or I gotta go do that. But those excuses, when you see, oh my gosh, I'm arguing with somebody. I'm coming up with excuses why not to gather together and love one another. Who's helping you with those excuses? It's the adversary of God. What's another word for adversary? If you were to look into the Greek for a word that would mean adversary, what word would you come up with? Satan. (laughs) Satan. That means adversary. That's why John is talking about the synagogue of Satan. It's, uh, there were the tens, hundreds, and thousands of Christianity which was taking care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. And there were the tens, hundreds, and thousands of the adversary of God. Because Herod organized his people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as well. Because that was the tradition. In the true sense of the word tradition, that's another page I worked on and added a page called tradition. <laughs> Is that... Uh, that tradition was to gather in these tens, hundreds, and thousands. But they did it by force under Herod. But anyway, when you come back, we'll, we'll look at some of the other things that I've been adding so that you can find your way in the darkness to the light. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So we, we talked a little bit about uh, this legal charity with Alexis Tocqueville and... Uh, 
Herod the Great and Davy Crockett and Horatio Bonds and uh, you can look up Davy Crockett at Preparing You and read the article there, which is fascinating to me when I first came across it. So much we should just know as a matter of history, but all these things that I'm sharing with you have been deleted from your public school history books. They do not want you to know this. They they decided they did not want you to know this way back in 1908 and got together, had meetings to plan how to remove it from your school books. And that was uncovered by a government study <laughs> and commission that went and investigated this. And it's all in the um, Congressional Archives. So you can go look it up. It's not like it's a secret or anything. But... Uh, You'll probably go run around saying, well, it wasn't full disclosure. They didn't tell me about it. Well, you didn't look either. You know, I'm out in the middle of the desert and, you know, worked 16-hour days and I found out. But I only found out, and I said this to God when I first, when I first admitted, I, I mentioned this story. That, you know, I had everything that I thought I ever wanted. And I was raising a family out on the desert with, Raising sheep, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had a comfortable house and everything was fine. We had no debt. We were up to broke. <laughs> so, we weren't broke, broke, but we uh, we didn't have any debt. And, uh, you know, many times throughout my life, people had offered me benefits from government and I just never applied for them. I never sought them. I thought like, what? And, and I had nothing against the government. I just thought like, well, it wasn't owed me. I didn't, you know, they sent me a stimulus. I had a whole desk full of checks. They're all small checks that I wouldn't cash. I look at them and I just couldn't cash them. And they were gifts, gratuities, and benefits sent to me by the government. You know, because of jury duty or what have you or low income credit or whatever. And I thought, like, I don't want that. And I, I had no animosity. When I began to discover this contractual nature of government, which I covered in the book Contracts. Uh, actually, Covenants of the Gods is probably the place to start to see that. Uh, which went through all the stuff that was mentioned by DS. Uh, but it puts it in the perspective of the kingdom because the solution is there in the kingdom. The solution is not in that particular book, but you have, again, part of the solution is to admit the problem. Problem is the fact that you're sitting in darkness and you haven't been willing to see the whole truth. You have to be like Patrick Henry said, be willing to see the whole truth and provide for it. And seeing the whole truth is seeing the truth of the gospel, the truth of Moses. You know, if somebody's Jewish and think that they're following Moses but they're still depending upon a government to provide their social safety net, then they don't, they're not really following Moses. They're following Pharaoh. Uh, they, may, they may eat all the right foods and they may wear their hamakkah and all that stuff, but they're still following Pharaoh. They're not following Moses. They're following Caesar. They're following Herod. And uh, the Samaritans, I believe that the Samaritans had more charity in their community than 
the Pharisees did. I, you know, which is why Christ talks about the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm sure all Samaritans weren't as good as the Good Samaritan, or he wouldn't have had to use the adjective good in front of the word Samaritan. But they may have had that. I know the Essenes, many of the Essenes, the Nazarene Essenes especially, they did not sign up. They were one of those larger groups of unregistered people. They did not sign up with the benefits of the Pharisees. Now, there were Essenes who did, but of course the Essenes didn't even call themselves Essenes. It wasn't a homogeneous group. There wasn't an Essene Pope or something that made them all one group. But uh, generally speaking, they made a great deal of effort to take care of the needy of their society. And they were probably the first Christians. If you took a poll amongst those people at Pentecost who had all been cast out of the welfare system of the Corbin of the Pharisees and now had to form their own system of the Corbin of Christ by sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to start taking care of one another where the apostles became and the other 120 in the upper room became the lively stones of their living altars, their living temple. Now they did work in the temple daily rightly dividing the bread from house to house, taking care of that daily ministration, taking care of the needy and the poor of society. They did do that for a while in Jerusalem. But eventually they fled Jerusalem in large numbers and they came out singing. And I've I've told that story. I mean, it's a matter of historical records and there's all kinds of evidence that it took place. And there's all kinds of reasons that we know of in the Bible and the biblical history that it should have taken place. And it took place just before the fall of Jerusalem. But they had a network all across the country and outside of Rome and outside of the Roman Empire where Christians could go. And they that network absorbed the people when they had to flee certain areas. You don't have that network now. <laughs> you need to build it. But I don't want you to build it out of fear. I want you to build it out of love, out of caring for one another. And and Tocqueville went on to say, I'm deeply convinced that any permanent, regular, administrative system whose aim will be to provide for the needs of the poor will breed more miseries than it can cure. Now, this is back in the early 1800s. Will deprave the population that it, that it wants to help and comfort what's happened to the black community. It's been devastated because they targeted the black community. Like I said, with Cloward and Piven were targeting, LBJ was targeting the black community. Will in time reduce the rich to being no more than tenant farmers of the poor will dry up the sources of savings, will stop the accumulation of capital, will retard the development of trade, will benumb human industry and activity, and will uh, culminate by bringing about a violent revolution in the state. He goes on from there, but... The reality is is that you don't have any capital in America anymore. You're operating with debt notes. You don't really have any cash anymore in America because when he was writing that, paper notes were not a part of what they would call cash. 
cash was something of present value. It wasn't a note. It wasn't a promissory note. It wasn't a Federal Reserve note. They didn't exist. So the, the capital is already gone, but there's a spirit of capitalism that was somewhat remaining in the people. But FDR, you know, I mean, the Federal Reserve was destroying the concept of capitalism because people were slowly replacing capital with nodes until 1930 and HGR 192 where you couldn't even own Cash. You couldn't own gold anyway. You could still own silver until 1977 and then they went off the silver standard. All that. We cover all that. You don't need to know all the specifics of that. But I'm just mentioning it that it's a correlation of this benumbing the human industry and activities of the people. Now, stimulus checks, uh, increasing the amount that you're making on unemployment, they can't they can't even get people to come back to work. They they, they don't want... Why work? I got, I got all these checks coming in from the government. Well, the industry and the people was already gone. Now we're just seeing the evidence of it. I mean, people... The rise in deaths from drugs has increased. But the real death is in the drug... The, the addiction of men to government. Well, Christ preached to government. It was a different kind of government, and it required a peculiar people, people that were willing to care about one another as much as they care about themselves. But what Christ was preaching was the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Not a government of the legislature. Like Justin was saying, your contribution was according to what you thought was fit. Can you imagine if everybody who was a Christian who claims to be a Christian today in America, were actually taking care of all the social welfare of the Christian community through faith, hope, and charity alone, America would not be the America you see today. It would be the America that used to exist when it was great. Trump is not going to make America great again unless he realizes what I'm telling you realizes the message of Christ. He'll he'll he might do some good, probably in you know, he'd lower uh you know, your payments from uh unemployment so more people would start going back to work, that'd be good. But it isn't necessarily righteous because you're still looking to men who exercise authority one over the other to provide most of your social welfare. Uh his Alexis Tocqueville wrote in his 1840 volume of democracy because uh, he wrote a lot of different things I'm quoting from different things as and you can like I say you can go to uh, preparingyou.com and look up Alexis de Tocqueville and, and uh, I have most of this there so that you can read it but uh, he says as men mingle and conditions become more equal. The poor man comes to have more resources, enlightenment, and desires. He conceives the idea of improving his lot. He seeks to accomplish this from saving. Saving thus daily gives rise to an immense number of new repositories of small capital. You don't have that anymore. 
You have a fractional reserve system. You don't have capital. You have debt. The slowly and patiently accumulated fruits of the labor of many people. But see, you accumulate the fruits of your labor in debt notes and they're worth less at the end of this program than they were at the beginning. You've gone a long way down the road of unrighteousness. It will take a miracle to get back. But I work for a God of miracles. You just have to turn around and start going back the way he said to go back. These sums increase steadily, but most would remain unproductive if they continued to be dispersed. This has given rise to the philanthropic institution that unless I miss my guess will soon become one of our greatest political institutions. Terrible men have come up with the idea of collecting the savings of the poor and putting them to productive use. So what is he talking about? Well, I'll, I'm going to have to leave that or we won't get on to more other things. You know, he also wrote about tutelary despotism. And that's a whole section of understanding what what is tutelary. This This giving of gifts that leads to despotism. And of course, that's exactly, you know, I'm only going back to the 1830s, but if you go all the way back to 150 B.C., you got Polybius who's talking about the people becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, degenerating. And they're degenerating because those social bonds of righteousness that bring people together because they care about one another are dissolved when you have this great tutelary power. Above the race of men stands an immense and tutelary power Who's that? Which takes upon itself alone to secure their gratification and to watch over their fate. That power is absolute, minute, regular, provident, and mild. Well, is he talking about God? But who's your tutelary power? Isn't it the great white father in Washington, D.C. or or? your prime minister or whatever, they're the ones that provide you with the benefits. They've become your tutelary power. This is why Christ says, call no man on earth father. I saw somebody, Arthur, I think it is. Is that what his name is? Uh, He's a big preacher and I joined his group on Facebook just to see if, and I finally found them making some comments I could make comments on. So much of what he was preaching, this is, this is a, an old white-haired guy who, uh, I don't know if I got the name right. <laughs> I'll have to go look. But also there was a Dr. Willie uh, author who was saying these same kinds of things. He is suggesting that this idea of Christianity is this, well, the one guy, he put a picture of a church building up. This is an example. And underneath it, he put a picture of, Four or five guys holding hands, sitting on couches and chairs in a house. And he says, which is the church? Well, I said, neither. I, I don't know what those guys are doing holding hands on the couch. <laughs> and I says, one is a building. But what, what they're doing in the building will make the difference. 
those guys just holding hands, that's not worshipping. We just saw that in 150 AD, they're saying worshipping was meeting every week and those that had enough would share with those that didn't have enough, which is exactly what John the Baptist was saying. If your neighbor has no coat and you have extra share, it's exactly what Justin was saying. But you're saying, no, if your neighbor doesn't have enough, he goes to the government who exercises authority, the great tutelary power of his life. You guys just sit on the couch holding hands. And that's the church. No, that's not the church. And uh, But I engage in those conversations with these guys that make these posts so that I can hear their comebacks. And then I go and I, I include in the articles the answers to the questions that I see rising up in men when you tell them what the gospel of the kingdom is really saying. And it's not really saying what they're saying it is. But anyway, he he talks about this despotism, this suspicious by its very nature view the separation of men as the best guarantee of its own permanence. They want you separate. They want you divided. They don't want you to care about one another. This is their plan. You need to go the other way. You need to go the plan of Christ, which is all about humility, about forgiveness, about caring for one another. It's about sacrificing to to save others, to care about others. If you don't do that, you won't draw the Holy Spirit and you'll have no pillar of fire between you and the armies of the Pharaoh. So the best guarantee of the permanence of despotism is to stay apart. And usually does all it can, the despot does all it can to keep them in isolation. Which takes us back to the mass formation (laughs) Uh, psychosis to keep you in desolation and separation from one another. No defect of the human heart suits it better than egoism. Why? You need humility. A tyrant is relaxed enough to forgive his subjects for failing to love him, provided they do not love one another. It's written 200 years ago. (laughs) He does not ask them to help him to govern the state. It is enough that they have no intention of managing it themselves. He calls those who claim to unite their efforts to create general prosperity turbulent and restless spirits and twisting the normally accepted meaning of the word. He gives the name of good citizens to those who retreat into themselves. You have to stop putting yourself first. You have to put your neighbor up equally with yourself. Now, that doesn't mean to weaken the poor. He goes on to write immediately after that. Thus, the vices fostered by tyranny are exactly those supported by Equality. These two things are complementary and mutually supportive with fatal results. 
And that's from, like I say, democracy in America. Because although, I mean, he was, he wrote in French, so we're looking at translations. Uh, and when he talks about democracy, he isn't necessarily talking about what we think of as democracy. He's talking about, I mean, in a sense, the kingdom of God is a democracy. You don't get to elect God, but you get to elect to follow him. If you choose not to follow him, you will suffer the consequences of not following God. But you do have a vote in the kingdom of God. When those people gave money or bread or whatever it was they gave, whatever they came to share at that weekly meeting, you know, those that had wanted to share with those that didn't have enough and they gave it to the presider of the meeting who was going to look to to succor the needy of society for whatever reason they were needy, they voted by giving to him. They empowered him to give this as you see fit. Now, they keep an eye on him, so if he doesn't do a good job, maybe they'll give to somebody else next week. But that was that was used to be called a votive offering. So, in a sense, that's democracy. But they get to decide what they see fit. It's not a, a democracy of the majority where 51% of the people decide that the rich guy has to give more than everybody else. The rich guy has to decide what he's going to give. This is why Jesus has these whole stories about the widow's might. She gave all. So she gave more than the rich man. The rich man wants to give more than her. He has to give all. <laughs> Oh, got, they got a lot of rich guys shaking, you know. And the reality is, where's the treasure that she gets for what she gave? That's from that tutelary power above us all. And you have no control over that tutelary power. But that tutelary power is what put the pillar of fire between the armies of the Pharaoh and the Israelites. That was that tutelary power from above. That's real. Now, I don't expect you to believe me, but that is real. Ultimately, you're going to need that. But right now, what you need to do is turn around and start thinking like a real Christian. Thinking like Christ said to think. And stop thinking like Herod and the Pharisees and the pharaohs of the world and the Cains and the Nimrods of the world. Stop thinking you have a right to force your neighbor. Stop thinking like a tyrant. And you have to stop being slothful. You can't keep putting it off. You have to sit down as if you really cared. You know when you have children, uh, you don't you don't get to decide, you know, that, there was a custom in Rome that when a guy's wife had a baby, that they would bring the baby to the father. I don't know why he wasn't with her. <laughs> Supposedly. Maybe he's a rich man. He had somebody else take care of all that. But anyway, uh, they bring the baby to the father and they lay it at his feet. If he picks it up, that baby is now an heir to the father. If he doesn't pick it up, the baby has no inheritance. But at that moment in time, he had to pick it up then. If he doesn't pick it up or somebody doesn't pick it up in a few hours, that baby's going to start dying. It's the same way with the kingdom of God in you. 
You need to become a doer of the word. So anyway, we've covered all that. And uh, we'll have to save the rest for next time. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.